Well, we're there in uh, Matthew chapter 17. If you remember, a couple of weeks ago, last week on Wednesday night, we were taking the Lord's Supper, so we kind of took a break from our prayer series, and we're back in our prayer series, and uh, we're going to be talking about prayer tonight, and then we'll be talking about prayer uh, next week, and then we'll be done with the prayer series. That'll be, I think this is the eighth sermon on the subject of prayer, Uh, so we'll have a ninth sermon, and then we're going to get into a book of the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, uh, through a book of the Bible after that. And we just took a kind of a little, uh, uh, several weeks here to study the subject of prayer. If you remember, a couple of weeks ago, we began on the subject of fasting. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, the sermon about fasting was very, uh, just kind of educational, instructional, just explaining what fasting is, the different types of fast, and how to fast, and all of those things. Uh, tonight, we're going to continue this idea of fasting, but it'll be more in regards to what fasting does and the result of fasting. If you look at Matthew 17 there, uh, you'll notice as we read the passage that Jesus, this is that famous passage where Jesus walks up to the Mount of Transfiguration, and uh, he's transfigured before the disciples, and all of that. As he comes down from the mountain, the Bible says, and and we'll pick up the story here in verse number uh, 14. It says, and when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is lunatic and sore vexed, for oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, O faithless. Now I want you to notice he comes, he brings the, the, the son to the disciples, and the disciples could not cure him. Now, disciples have been curing and casting out devils and doing all those things, but they could not help this young man. And Jesus says in verse 17, Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation. So according to Jesus, what is the problem? They were faithless and perverse. He says, O faithless and perverse generation. Now, Faith has to do with our belief in in Jesus Christ and the power of God. Perverse has to do with sin. I want you to notice that. He says, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples of Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? So they said, they said We've cast out other devils. We've, we've cured other people. Why could not we cast him out? Notice verse 20. And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. He says, Because of the fact that you don't uh, believe. You, you, you lacked in faith. You lapsed in faith there. He says, uh, Because of your unbelief, verse 20, For verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say it to this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind. Now, he says, look, you've done it before. But he said, you, you, you've, you've met other challenges. You, you, you've healed other people. But he says, howbeit this kind. He says, this challenge and this devil and this opposition at this time. He says, how be it this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. And we got to understand that there are some things in the Christian life that we are not going to be able to handle. There are some oppositions and some battles and some levels of Christianity that we're not going to be able to just, you know, deal with in the same way that we've just kind of dealt with everything else. There comes a time in our lives when we kind of have to step up our game. And he's, Jesus says, hey, this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. Now, just kind of by way of introduction, I want you to notice that fasting and prayer 
in the Bible are often associated together. You see there in verse 21, he says prayer and fasting. Go with me to, keep your finger there in Matthew 17, or put your bulletin or ribbon or something, because that's, that's kind of our text. But go to Luke chapter number 2. You're there in Matthew. If you look at Luke chapter number 2, Luke chapter number 2 and verse number 37 The Bible says in Luke chapter 2, Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 2 and verse 37, it says, and she was a widow. This is talking about uh, a lady in the temple. It says, and she was a widow about four score and four years, uh, which departed not from the temple, but served God. And I want you to notice how she served God with fastings and prayers night and day. So you notice how, again, we have this correlation between fasting and prayer. Go to Acts chapter 14. You're there in Luke. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 14. And look at verse number 23. Acts chapter 14 and verse number 23. Acts chapter 14 and verse 23. Bible says this, and when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed, notice this, with fasting and had prayed with fasting. They commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. You're there in Acts, go past the book of Romans and into 1 Corinthians. When you get to 1 Corinthians, keep your finger in 1 Corinthians because we're going we're gonna to come back and forth a lot to 1 Corinthians. There's a lot of verses we're going to look at in 1 Corinthians. So that would be another place that I'd put a bookmark or a ribbon or something because we're going to leave 1 Corinthians, we're going to come back to it, we're going to leave it, we're going to come back to it uh, throughout the sermon. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and look at verse 5. This is in regards to fasting. Fasting, and we're going to look at it a little closer in a little bit. But I just want you to notice the correlation. 1 Corinthians 7, 5. Defraud ye not one another, except it be uh, with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to, notice again, fasting and prayer. So in the Bible, you have this correlation, this association between prayer and fasting. It mentions fasting and prayer. It says the fact that they had prayed and fasted. They uh, Fasting and prayer. And you have this correlation. And because of it... Excuse me. Because of it, uh, you get this idea. And the way that most people teach fasting, and I'm not saying people who teach it this way are bad people, but the way that most people teach the idea of fasting and the subject of fasting, and maybe the way you've had it taught to you before, is this. That fasting is this like secret key to getting your prayers answered. Like you pray, and if you can't get God to give you something, then you fast, and that makes God want to give you uh, that thing, you know, and the and they might not say it that way, but basically, fasting is taught as this idea that if you need something done, you know, that this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. If you need something done, you basically fast and. Good night. I my my uh, voice was feeling better till I started talking, <laughs> but you basically fast and. Uh, and, and that's going to kind of get God to give you the idea. The misconception is that fasting is what we do to get God to do what we want him to do. As if fasting changes God. Now here's what I need to understand, okay? That is a misconception. Fasting is not something we do to get God to do the things we want him to do. I'm going to be doing that all night. Fasting does not change God. In fact, the truth is that fasting is what we do to be more like God. Because the truth of the matter is that fasting is something that changes us, not God. 
And I, and I want you to, to notice this tonight as we, as we look at these passages. We're going to look at a lot of different passages, so I need you to keep up with me. I don't know if my voice is, maybe it's worse than Sunday, I don't know. But uh, go with me to Galatians chapter 5. Did you keep your finger in 1 Corinthians? If you kept your finger in 1 Corinthians, you go past 1 and 2 Corinthians, and the next book is the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, and look at verse number 17. Galatians chapter number 5 and verse 17. And uh, Galatians 5.17, I want you to understand something. The problem is the flesh. The problem is our flesh. The problem is your flesh. The problem is my flesh. And there is a battle between the spirit and the flesh. The Bible teaches us all throughout scriptures, but I'll just show it to you in one place. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. The Bible says this, For the flesh, that's your body, lusteth. The word lust simply means desire. We usually, people think, use the word lust and we think of like a physical relationship between a man and a woman. And, and that's definitely a description. But in the Bible, you will read of people lusting after food, okay? Because it's just a, a reference to desire. And he says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, or the flesh desires against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And I want you to notice this. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. This is the same idea that Paul taught in Romans 7 where he said, you know, I do the things that I would not and the things that I would I can't do. And he says, you know, what is this problem? And the idea is this. Inside of every believer, anyone who's truly saved, you have a new man and an old man. You have a spiritual man in the flesh. And they're constantly at odds with each other. And they're fighting each other. They're contrary, the one to the other. The flesh lusts against the spirit. The spirit against the flesh. These are contrary, the one to the other. So that ye cannot do the things that ye would. There is a battle between the spirit and our flesh. That is the problem. Anytime we have a spiritual problem. Anytime we fail spiritually. Anytime we have a this kind of type of situation. That we cannot overcome. The problem is our flesh. Go back to 1 Corinthians. Corinthians, but go to chapter number 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And by the way, uh, you know, there, there are movements today, and especially within the Pentecostal and charismatic movement, there is a movement to blame everything on devils and blame everything on demons. And I'm all for spiritual warfare, and the Bible talks about the fact that, that you know, Satan walketh about uh, as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And we understand that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, and against spiritual wickedness and high places. We understand all that, but listen to me. You cannot go around constantly blaming, you know, oh, the devil made me do it. The problem is not the devil. The problem is your flesh. And people today, they have all sorts of problems. They say, I can't get up in the morning. I can't get, get to work on time. And I can't, you know, do this. And I can't do that. I must have the, a, a demon of laziness. No, you're just lazy. You know, that's the problem. You know, people say, oh, well, I, I just, I, I, I'm, I, you know, I'm addicted to drugs. I must have the, a demon of bondage. No, you're just, your flesh is addicted to cigarettes, okay? You're addicted to drugs. You're addicted to alcohol. It's not the devil. It's your flesh. The problem is your flesh. In fact, all Satan can do is tempt your flesh, and your flesh falls for it. The flesh lusteth against the Spirit, is what the Bible says. But here's what I want you to understand, okay? In 1 Corinthians 6, the Bible equates eating food with this idea of fulfilling of the flesh, okay? Now, in the Bible, the word meat means food. The word meat in our King James Bible is our modern-day word 
uh, food. Today, we use the word meat to refer to what the King James Bible refers to as flesh, okay? So when you read the word meat in the Bible, it's not referring to like a steak, okay? It's just referring to flesh in general. If, if you remember, as you read the book of Leviticus, you'll hear about the meat offering. Here's what's interesting about the meat offering. It's like a pancake, okay? It's, it's you know, it's flour and honey and oil put together. It's, there's no flesh associated with it. So when you read the word meat, it's referring to food. First Corinthians chapter 6, are you there? Look at verse number 13. First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 13. I want you to notice how the Bible correlates these two ideas. First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 13 says this, meat for the belly, okay? He's saying food is for the belly and belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now here's what I want you to see, okay? He says, meat is for the belly. He said, food is for the belly. He says, belly, the belly is for, for food, is for meat. God shall destroy both it and them. Now, notice this. Now, the body is not for fornication. Now, you say, well, what does fornication have to do with food? The idea is that God is correlating this idea between our desire to eat and our desire for other things that gratify the flesh, like a relationship outside of uh, before marriage there in fornication. He said, now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God has not raised up the Lord and will also raise up by His own power. Look at verse 15. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? He says, God forbid. So I want you to notice there's a correlation between meat and the belly, food going into the belly, and then your body and being involved in a sin that we would consider a lustful type sin like fornication. Because the Bible equates eating food And fulfilling the desires of your flesh, your flesh, your belly has a desire to eat on a regular basis. It equates that idea with other desires of your flesh that your flesh wants to do. Uh, You're there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, Flip over a few pages past Galatians, past Ephesians into the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter number 3. In Philippians 3, and I'll show you this in two passages, we have Paul teaching us about false prophets. And he talks about the fact that the prophets, these false prophets, are in it for themselves. They're not in it to help God's people. They're not in ministry to help people. They're in it for themselves. And I want you to notice how he says that. In Philippians chapter 3, in verse 18, he says, For many walk, of whom I I have told you often, and I'll tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Okay, so these good people are bad people. These are bad people. They are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 19. Notice what he says about the enemies of the cross of Christ. Whose end is destruction. Now notice this. Whose God is their what? Belly. Do you see that? He says these people are in ministry to satisfy. And you and I would say to satisfy their flesh. But here's what he said. To satisfy their belly. Because the Bible equates our belly and the hungers that our stomach has with the idea of other desires that our flesh has to satisfy our flesh, he says, their end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Go to Romans, Romans chapter number 16. If you go back towards the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, before 1 Corinthians, Romans chapter 16. Let me give you just one more example about this. Romans chapter 16 and verse number 17. Romans chapter 16 and verse number 17. <clears throat> Romans 16 and verse 17. It says, Now I beseech you, brethren, 
Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. And by the way, that's a scriptural uh, president there, that we are to mark them. The word mark means to identify those which cause division and offenses. And we don't have a problem at Verity Baptist Church. Somebody wants to walk in here with a bunch of false doctrine and cause division and offenses. We don't have an issue with marking them for the purpose of avoiding them. And, uh, you know, today people say, oh, I don't think you should. We need to just get back to biblical philosophy and the, the way the Bible says to do things. Look at verse 18. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice, they're not serving Jesus, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. So those that come in with false doctrine to cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine, these false teachers and preachers, he says, they are not serving our Lord Jesus Christ, but they are serving their own belly. So you got to understand, the problem is the flesh. Every spiritual problem you have has to do with your flesh. It's because your flesh desires things. It's because your flesh wants things. It's because my flesh desires certain things. And God equates that whole idea to our belly. And to the fact that our belly wants meat. It wants food. So the problem is the flesh. Number two, there needs to be a denial of the flesh. Can you get back to 1 Corinthians? Did you keep your place there? Uh, 1 Corinthians, you were in chapter 6. Go back to chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I want you to understand this. Fasting is an exercise in self-denial. Fasting is an exercise in self-denial. Because your body is hungry. Your flesh is hungry. But you are denying your flesh of what it desires for a certain amount of time. It may be 24 hours. It may be 72 hours. It may be you know, 7 days. It may be 40 days. Maybe 21 days. Whatever it is. But you are... Telling your body, I don't care what you want. I don't care if you're hungry. I don't care if you want food. I'm going to deny you of that. And all fasting is, is you are exercising yourself in self-denial. You are teaching yourself that you don't have to give your flesh everything it wants. And you can tell your flesh, no. You can tell your flesh, you don't need that. You can, you, you'll survive if you skip a meal or two or three or twelve. It's an exercise in self-denial. And notice, fasting is not just an exercise in self-denial of food. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We saw this last week, but let's look at it again. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, look at verse 4. The wife hath not power of her own body, but her husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. He's talking about the relationship between a husband and wife. He says, look, wife, that body does not belong to you. As soon as you got married, you became one flesh. Twain became one. And he says, husband, that body is not yours. It belongs to your wife. Now notice what he says in verse 5. He says, defraud ye not one the other. The word defraud, if I was to defraud you, what am I doing? I'm stealing from you. I'm taking something that belongs to you and I'm taking, I'm, it's fraudulent. He says, defraud ye not one another. Paul is teaching about the subject of the marriage bed. He's talking about the fact that a man and a wife ought not, you know, deny each other a physical relationship. I don't talk about this a lot, but, you know, we're there, so let's just talk about it because, you know, this is more common in our society than than people realize. But listen to me. You need to be with your spouse when they want you to be with them. This, this, I, I don't understand this idea of these women that, you know, will go weeks without being with their husband. You're insane. And it's wicked and it's wrong. The Bible says that you are defrauding your husband. And husband, if you're the problem, I don't know what your problem is, but you need to get that right with God, okay? You are not to defraud ye, not one the other, the Bible says, except it be with consent for a time that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. 
The idea is that you are denying your flesh of the desires it wants and even a physical relationship with your spouse during the time that you are fasting. And only while you are fasting are you to deny your spouse. This idea that I'm going to punish my husband because I'm mad at him and I'm not going to... You need to get right with God. I, can't, I cannot imagine that you know, wives would use that as leverage or husbands would use that as leverage in a, in a marriage relationship. You, are, you should come together that Satan tempt you not, is what the Bible says. So fasting, if we get back on the subject of fasting, is this idea of exercising self-denial. You're telling your body, no, you don't need that food. And you're telling your body, uh, you know, for those of you that are married, that no, you don't need to be in a, you know, have physical relationship with your spouse during the time that you are uh, fasting. If you're not married, you need to be having physical relationship, period. All right? That's what the Bible teaches, and that's a whole other subject. Let's go to Ezra, chapter 8, in the Old Testament. Ezra, chapter 8. If you find the first and second books in the Old Testament, first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, um, right after first and second Chronicles, you've got the book of Ezra. And look at Ezra, chapter 8. Let me show you something about fasting. Fasting literally weakens the flesh. Can you imagine? If you go seven days without eating, you're probably going to be fairly weak. Fasting is a weakening of the flesh. Ezra chapter 8. Look at verse 21. And I don't know, I think I may have too many places already where I've told you to keep your place, but we're going to come back to Ezra 8.21. So if you can figure out, if you can manage to put a finger there or something, that'd be great. Ezra 8, verse 21. Then I proclaimed the fast there at the river of Ahava, and notice what he says, that we might afflict ourselves before our God. Do you see that? That we might afflict ourselves before our God to seek him a right way for us and for our little ones and for all our substance. So here Ezra tells us that he proclaimed the fast. And what was the purpose of the fast? To afflict ourselves. The word afflict is is the same word that's used uh, in regards to like persecution. It's to hurt yourself. It's to weaken yourself. Now, not to the point of death, but a fast is literally weakening your flesh. Go, Go to Psalms. You're there in Ezra. You go past Nehemiah. Past Esther, past Job, into the book of Psalms. Look at Psalm 109, and then we're going to go back uh, into the earlier Psalms. Look at Psalm 109 and look at verse 24. Psalm 109 and verse 24. Psalm 109 and verse 24. Notice what the psalmist said. He said, my knees are weak through fasting. He's talking about his physical body. He says, I I am weak. He says, my knees are weak through fasting and my flesh faileth of fatness. He said, my flesh is failing. He said, my knees are weak because of fasting. Fasting literally. I'm not talking about spiritually, like you need to deny your flesh. I'm saying literally weakens your flesh. Go go back uh, a few pages to Psalm 69. Look at verse 10. Not only does it weaken your flesh, but it weakens who you are. It makes you weak. And by the way, being weak is a good place to be spiritually. Paul said, when I am weak, then he is strong. God's strength and power is made perfect in our weakness. And in Psalm 69 and verse 10, the Bible says this, When I wept and chastened. Notice that word chastened. Chastening is what a, what, a, what a father does to his children when they're doing wrong. It's, it's like they're correcting. He said, I, when I wept and chastened my soul with fasting. 
That was to my reproach. Go to Psalm 35, look at verse 13. Psalm 35, verse 13. Psalm 35, verse 13. The Bible says this. Psalm 35 and verse 13. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. Notice what he says. Don't miss this. I humbled my soul with fasting and my prayer returned into my own bosom. He said, I humbled my soul with fasting. See, here's what you got to understand. Remember point number one? What was point number one? The problem is our flesh. The problem is you. The, you say, why won't God bless me? Because of my pride. Because the Bible says that God resisteth the proud. You say, well, how, do I, how can I humble myself? Try fasting, it'll humble you. You say, well, well, well what's the problem uh, uh, you know, it, with, with, with my sin life? What, what's the problem? Is that your flesh is stronger than your spirit? Because inside of you there's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. And you've fed your flesh too much and you've not fed your spirit. You say, well, what can I do? Well, here's one thing you can do. Is you can begin to feed the spirit and begin to renew the spiritual man day by day. But here's another thing you can do. You can begin to weaken the flesh. And you can literally start doing it by skipping a meal or two or three or 40 days worth. He says, I chastened my soul with fasting. He said, I humbled my soul. The idea is this. Go, go, to, go to Matthew chapter 16. Remember we started in Matthew 17? You flip one page back to Matthew 16 and look at verse 24. Everything in the Christian life goes back to this. And I don't want to talk too much about it because we're going to talk about it in a few weeks on Sunday morning um, in our Follow Me series. But look at Matthew 16, verse 24. Matthew 16, verse 24. The Bible says this. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me. He said, if you're, going to be, if you're going to come after me, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be a disciple, if you're going to be a follower. He says, if any man come after me, here's step number one. Let him deny himself. See, that's the step. That's what it takes. You say, what does it take to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to deny yourself? You say, how do I do that? And take up his cross. Say, well, why do I have to take up my cross? Because there's, there's only one thing a cross is good for, and it's for killing. There's only one thing the cross is good for, and it's for putting something to death. And Jesus said, if you're going to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, and here's the result, and follow me. See, your problem and my problem is the fact that our flesh is too alive. Our desires are too alive. It's my will, not the will of God. It's what I want, not what God wants. And God says, here's what you can do to start fixing this, is you can start crucifying your flesh. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He said, well, how do I begin to die to self? Here's a good place to start fasting. Because it literally weakens your flesh and it exercises self-denial. Because if you can tell yourself, I'm not going to eat when I'm hungry, you can also tell yourself, I'm not going to gossip when I want to. And I'm not going to have a bad attitude when I really want to have a bad attitude right now. And I'm not going to go down that road. I'm not going to drink that alcohol. And I'm not going to partake in that sin. I'm not going to watch that. I'm not going to listen to that thing that would be dishonoring to God, even though my flesh really wants to. Because when you teach yourself that you don't have to gratify every desire of your flesh, you begin to learn how to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him. Can you get back to Galatians chapter 5? Galatians chapter 5, remember we were there. If you, did you keep your place in 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians, go past 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. You find this concept all throughout the Bible. Galatians chapter 5, look at verse 24. Galatians 5.24 says this. Galatians 5.24 says, 
And they that are Christ, meaning those that belong to Christ, those that are following Christ, and they that are Christ, notice, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. See, if you belong to Christ, you say, well, how do I belong to Christ? How do I become a follower of Christ? Here's how you do it. You crucify your flesh. Well, how do you crucify your flesh? By crucifying the affections and the lust, the desires and the things that your flesh wants. And you can begin to exercise yourself by telling your body, no, you're not going to have that. You're not going to eat at this time. We're going to go 24 hours. We're going to go 48 hours. We're going to go 72 hours without fulfilling our desires. And it's going to help us learn how to not fulfill the lust of our flesh. Verse 25, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Go back to verse 16, same chapter, Galatians 5.16. Galatians 5.16. Remember we looked at verse 17 where it says that the flesh and the a spirit are at odds with each other. But Galatians 5.16 says this, This I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Do you understand the concept? If I walk in the spirit, I won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now here's the opposite is true. If I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, I'll begin to walk in the spirit. And fasting is learning to not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He says, this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of, our, of the flesh. Because here's the problem. Our flesh is in the way. Can you, get back, can you get to John chapter 7, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John chapter 7? See, God wants His Holy Spirit to flow through you. God wants to unleash in you the power of the Holy Spirit. You say, my faith is, is small. The Spirit can help you with that. You say, my, my, uh, I don't have the power of God on my life. I, I pray and nothing happens. I go soul winning and nothing happens. I, I try to rear my children. They're not listening. I, my, my marriage, you know, it's just uh, something is missing. I need the power of God. And God says, I want to I flow through you. He says, I want to give you the power. He, he, Jesus would look at his disciples and say, hey, the same Holy Spirit that caused you to cast out other devils and caused you to heal other people. He said, that same Spirit can cast out this devil and can cast out this Spirit. He says, the same Holy Spirit that I have is the Holy Spirit that you can have. He said, but this kind, he says, this kind cometh not out but by praying and fasting. Because you got to understand it. The problem that you and I have that Jesus did not have is that our flesh is in the way. So what do you do with your flesh? You kill it. You mortify it. You put it to death. You get rid of it. You learn to deny it. Are you there in John chapter 7? Look at verse 37. John chapter 7, verse 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man will thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And he that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his, I want you to make note of this word, belly. Do you see that? Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. See, Jesus said, what, what rivers of living water are going to flow? And he could have used any analogy, any idea, but here's what he said. He said, it's going to flow out of your belly. You say, well, what, is, what was he talking about? Well, here's a beautiful thing about the Bible that defines itself. Look at verse 39. But this spake he of the Spirit. So what's the rivers of flowing, uh, the, the flowing rivers of living water that are going to uh, come out of your belly? What is that referring to? But this he spake of the Spirit 
which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And don't let that confuse you. The idea here is that Jesus had not yet died on the cross, been buried and resurrected and glorified and gone to heaven. So the Holy Spirit had not yet been given. But Jesus is speaking to a day in the very near future in John 7 where he says, once I'm glorified, I'm going to give you the comfort. I'm going to give you the Spirit. And he's going to flow through your belly. But sometimes we have to starve our belly. And sometimes our belly's out of control. And sometimes our belly wants things and desires things. And our flesh wants things and desires things. And by the way, every problem in your life goes back to flesh that is out of control. I don't care what it is. You're having financial problems. You can't control your spending. It's your flesh. Can't control your eating. It's your flesh. Can't keep down a job. It's your flesh. Can't show up on time. It's your flesh. Have an addiction problem. It's your flesh. Every, Every problem in the world goes back to... Sin in the flesh. It's all the flesh. You say, well, what can I do? You can learn to deny the flesh. And you can learn to deny the things of the flesh. See, here's what you've got to understand. Can, can you go back? We're, we're going to look at uh, three more references in the Old Testament. We'll be done, okay? Can you get to Second Chronicles chapter number 20? Second Chronicles chapter number 20. And look at verse number 3. Remember those first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles. Find those one and two books. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Here's the misconception. I need something from God. I want something from God. I want God to answer this prayer. I've got this prayer request. And I I need God. I need to change the mind of God. So I'm going to fast. And I'm going to change God. Here's what you understand. Fasting does not change God. Fasting is meant to change you. The misconception is, I want God to do this for me. So I'm going to fast. And God says, no, no, no. I need you to fast so you will be conformed to the image of my son. So that you will be more like me. Because the goal is not for, to make God conform to us. The goal is for us to conform to Him. The idea is that fasting allows us to draw closer to God. Are you there in Second Chronicles chapter 20? Look at verse 3. 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 3. And Jehoshaphat, remember Jehoshaphat, good king, feared, and notice what the Bible says, and set himself to seek the Lord. He said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek God. I'm going to uh, seek the will of God. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to begin to be a follower. I'm going to get sold out. He said he set himself to seek the Lord. And what did he do? And proclaimed a fast through all Judah. Go to Ezra. Remember we were in Ezra? It's, if you're there in Second Chronicles, just right after, the next book is Ezra. Ezra chapter 8, look at verse 21. Ezra chapter 8, verse 21. We, all, we were already there, but let's just look at it real quickly. You're, you're real close anyway. Ezra chapter 8, verse 21. Then I proclaimed a fast there. At the river of Ahava, that we might afflict ourselves before our God. Remember, he's talking about the fact that he's afflicting his body, afflicting ourselves. But why? Why did they do it? Here's why they did it. To seek of him a right way for us. Ezra said, I needed, I needed to know the will of God. He said, I needed to know what God would have. He said, I needed to seek of him a right way. Notice, he's not saying, I needed to tell God what I wanted to do and how I wanted it done and how I needed him to come through. He says, I needed to figure out what God wanted, so I fasted. So I set up a fast. Go to Joel chapter, 20, uh, chapter 2. Good night. There's no chapter 20 in Joel. Joel chapter 2. Towards the end of the Old Testament. If you can find that big book of Isaiah. Got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel. Got that? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel. Go to Joel chapter 2. Look at verse 12. This is a powerful, powerful verse. Joel chapter 2 verse 12. Joel chapter number 2 and verse 12. The Bible says this. Therefore, also now saith the Lord... This is God speaking. Now we understand it's God speaking through the prophet Joel. 
says, therefore also now, saith the Lord. He says, turn ye even to me with all your heart. He says, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. See, God says, hey, you want to you turn to me? You want to draw close to me? You want to get right with me? He says, here's a good way to do it, fast. See, fasting does not draw God closer to us in the sense of making him do the things that we want him to do. But fasting actually draws us closer to God and allows us to get closer to God. So what, what does fasting do? Well, I think fasting is just going to be my, my key. And I don't, you know, I've been asking God to do these things and he's not doing it. So I'm just going to fast and God's going to do it. I don't know that God is going to do it because we, we already talked about it in our prayer series. God will only answer prayers according to his will that are asked in faith, that are, you know, things that he wants done. But here's what fasting does. It denies flesh. It allows us to draw closer to God. It allows the spirit to flow through us so we can experience the power of God on our lives. You say, well, well, when's a good time to fast? Well, uh, you can fast like, remember Esther? We saw Esther fasted. She had a big task ahead of her. She had to go to the king. She didn't know if she would live or die. She needed to know that she had the power of God with her, that she had the favor of God with her. So her and her maidens fasted for three days. You say, I've got a big task ahead of me. I've got certain things that I just need God to help me. That would be a good time to fast. You know, Ezra, we just saw there, he needed to make a decision. He just didn't know what to do. And he had these possibilities. Maybe you've got a big decision you've got to make. You ask, you can fast not to change God to your preconceived decision you've already made and you just want God to tag along to your idea. But you can come to God and say, hey, God, what would you have me to do? I want to know the mind of God. Maybe you are a Jehoshaphat who just needs to draw closer to God. You can uh, fast and that'll draw you closer. Maybe you're a David. Remember, David fasted. Why? Because of sin in his life and God was punishing him and God was coming down on him and he was fasting to try to get right with God and try to seek the will of God. There are many different areas to fast, but you know, maybe your flesh is just out of control. Maybe there's an area in life where you say, I know in this one area, I, I'm not controlling myself. Fasting would be a great place to start to learn to deny your flesh because when you're hungry, when you're hungry, you can tell yourself, no, you don't need that. You know, you can quote to yourself, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And you can tell your flesh, you don't need that. You think you need it, but you'll be fine without it. And then in other areas of your life, you can begin to tell yourself, no, you don't need that. You think you need it, but you don't. And as we deny our flesh, and as we deny our belly, the Spirit of God can begin to flow through us. And all of a sudden, there will be those this kinds that used to beat us up and those this kinds that we could not get ahead on and these this kinds that we just would stop us. And all of a sudden, those this kinds begin to start getting out of our way. But it only happens by prayer and fasting. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer.